Welcome to Spark.Grow, a series of conversations on topics that are critical to companies and people that want to grow, scale, and maintain their performance. Spark.Grow is brought to you by Ann Arbor Spark and hosted by Dave Haviland, founder of Fimation based in Ann Arbor. This conversation was recorded in the podcast studios of the Ann Arbor District Library. Now we'll turn it over to Dave Haviland for this conversation. Welcome to the Spark.Grow podcast. Uh, this is Dave Haviland. I am a strategy advisor and business coach with the Fimation Strategy Group, and I am at the Ann Arbor District Library doing our latest podcast here with two people from Integrated Design, Inc. Uh, we have Sonia Parker and Kit Dickinson, and you all are the leaders slash owners of the business. Is that right? Correct. We are. All right. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Here. Yeah. Um, so give us a little backstory on what the company is and where you've come from to get to where you are today. Sure. Yeah. So Integrated Design was founded in the mid-80s. Um, it was started as a organization to help provide data transfer between different applications. So it started kind of ahead of its time, um, connecting payroll systems with then time and attendance systems and trying to connect HR systems. So at the time, everything was very disparate, and so it was a great business to, to start. Um, fast forward to the early 2000s, and we realized there was a need to expand not only our solution set, um, but also the way we approach partnerships. Um, we were very single-threaded through one partner at the time, and now we have uh, obviously grown that now to about four or five different partnerships and expanded our product set as well. So. It's been a great journey. Um, Sonia and I took over our roles in 2001 when we had a major disruption in the organization. Uh, the founders essentially um, backed away and uh, handed over the keys to us. Um, we were facing, at the time, we were about 85 employees, um, about close to five million in revenue, and our really only partner at the time decided to do away with us, essentially wow. to, uh, you know, insource what the technology and, and solutions we were providing. And in that time, we went from 85 employees to 10. Correct. We went from 5 million to essentially zero <laughs> and became a startup overnight. Um, and it was uh, a great opportunity, um, very scary. <laughs> Pick any adjective you want. Um, but it was something that, you know, really started what we view as kind of IDI 2.0. Um, which became, you know, Kit and Sonia as the leaders and uh, um, haven't really looked back since. Wow. So uh, an incredibly tumultuous time. Um, what, what would be useful for people to know about from that time as they think about going through similar kinds of situations? You know, I think, I think a lot of business owners have been to those places where you're at the precipice or sometimes you're even over the precipice and, and it's really hard. So what did you guys learn from that or what sticks with you? I think what was unique for us is that we were already in the business. We knew the business. We knew each other. And um, when the founders and leaders were having separate conversations, I basically said, I'll do it if Kit will do it. At probably the exact same moment, Kit was saying, I'll do it if Sonia will do it. And we... Honestly, we thought if we can have vice president and president on our resume for like a year, mm -hmm. that, that would be awesome. Yeah. So that was our goal, to, to make it a year 
and lo and behold, you know, 17 and a half years later, we're still here. We've grown the business back. We, it, to Kit's point, we were starting over as a startup, but we had a known product and we had an, uh, a known team. And I kept saying, how can it not work? How can it not work? Mm -hmm. And uh, Kit blindly uh, trusted me. (laughs) 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 And then um, there were several conversations, (laughs) obviously, in between. But I I think for other people that are on the precipice, um, in many ways, we had the advantage of knowing what we did know and we had the advantage of not knowing what we didn't know, mm-hmm. and we did it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was an absolute leap of faith. It, you it know, really it was. was something that, again, we saw as a near-term professional opportunity, but at the same time, didn't know what lied ahead, mm-hmm. and that made it fun, scary, and everything in yeah. between. But w- one of the things that that I think we were grounded in was the fact that we did have a great team. So those that we self-selected to stay around those 10 um, that were with us many of them are still with us today Mm -hmm. and that's been extremely rewarding to see them grow stick with the company and really help shape what we are today so it's definitely while we are the leaders this team uh, has really you know risen to the occasion and and stayed with us and it's, it's just been so fulfilling yeah uh, I'm, in some ways leading a business is always scary but how long was it scary during that restart before you know how long did it take before you could start to sleep better at night and breathe a little more easily and and things like that i would say about three years (laughs) yeah um but i'm a restless sleeper (laughs) (laughs) so i think um what was so remarkably challenging in those first three years was that every time we thought we were ahead, there would be another, in many ways, catastrophic situation. Mm -hmm. So, um, for example, Kronos was the company back in the late 90s who was our primary source of income, 95% of our revenue. They made a business decision, which in retrospect, we understand. Mm. It really didn't have anything to do with us. Um, I don't think they stopped to consider w- what it was going to mean to us. They really wasn't part of their decision-making at all. And so there were a couple little baby companies that we were working with, and one of them was Simplex, so we started growing that channel, and less than a year later, Kronos acquired Simplex, and oh. that went away. Wow. So things like that happened, and yet we just kept um, pursuing and pursuing and pursuing. And we Kit started to use a phrase that ours was a business of additions and subtractions. Hmm. And so by looking at it that way, I think we got used to recognizing that um, companies that we were working with were going to churn in the market. They were, you know, we've seen the, the market over these years expand and collapse and expand and mm-hmm. collapse. And that has just become part of our outlook and solutions that we created. We are much better at recognizing that uh, many of them have a very short-term opportunity, and so we're just going to make money off of them for as long as we can, knowing that they're going to go away. And really, that, that helped us 
but uh, I agree. It was probably three years before we thought, huh, I guess we should probably uh, accept that this is uh, more than a one-year gig. Yeah. And, and I'm very soon going to turn to happier days, but I have one more question <laughs> in that, those deep, dark days. Yeah. Was there a point where you were you know, virtu- uh, on the verge of throwing in the towel? Did it, did it ever get that close to, you know, we're, we're a day away or five days away from may- maybe this just isn't going to work out? For me, it, it was in 2001. Um, as Sonia mentioned, we had started building this relationship with another vendor. They were purchased. Um, we were having some moderate success with another partner that just kind of disengaged. And then 9-11 hit. Yeah. And it was just like, when is this going to, when are we going to catch a break? You know, obviously that was catastrophic for the nation. Everyone was in frozen for a while economically, spiritually, financially, everything. And so that was for me a, a, a really dark period. I mean, obviously it was for the rest of the country, um, but in the sense of our IDI history, mm-hmm. to have that another body blow was was really tough to get up from. Was having a partner useful, helpful in kind of seeing your way through that, um, or or was that not really part of the mix? Because I I know sometimes when we work out, I mean, yeah, yeah, be, between you two as as, as leaders, because um, sometimes you have a workout partner, you have somebody somebody else that just helps motivate you and keep you on task and stuff. So, was that part of it or not? I, I would say it was the most important, and it was essential for not only getting through that period, but where we are 17 years later, so. Did you all have a partner kind of relationship before you signed up to lead the company together? I mean, were you all working closely in the business together or, you know, anything like that? I I was the, like Kip mentioned, it was 85 employees. So, you know, we were um, certainly not as close as we are now. We. I was the HR manager. Kit was running the integration consulting group, so we were peers. We were both managers, and we, in my HR role, that led to some interesting conversations. And uh, so there was already, you know, some trust and confidentiality there, but it, it, uh, it doesn't even compare mm-hmm. to our relationship now. Right. Right. So when the business is going well. Let's take the opposite side of those dark days. When the business is going well, what do you love about the business itself and about being in the role that you're in? What I love about the business itself, huh? I I love that I've been there almost 25 years and I still learn things every day because the technology is changing. Um, our challenges are always new, and yet at the same time, I have the depth and breadth to know that I can tackle those challenges or assemble a team to tackle those challenges. Uh, I love the people that we work with. That makes all the difference in the world, and um, Kit is my best friend at work, and that we laugh every day. Wow. We swear sometimes too, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, they're just that. Really, that partnership is what I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I would, ditto. I, I mean, it's it it boils down to the people. Starting with uh, an amazing working and personal relationship with with, with Sonia, um, 
and uh, and the rest of the team that we have, as well as I thoroughly enjoy working with with our partners and our clients. I mean, it is it's very energizing to be able to speak with a construction company who is just struggling and has a person that a payroll person that hasn't been able to take a vacation in two years and hasn't seen their kid play soccer in you know eighteen months and explain how we can address what they're just boxing with spreadsheets every week mm-hmm. and and really automate that for them so that they can go home with peace of mind and back to their family and back to their life. And it's it's been extremely rewarding on that front. It really boils down to the people. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's neat. Are there changes that you all are going through as a business now or are things more steady state at this point? So we're in tech, so everything's always changing, <laughs> um, and that's a good thing. Um, so specific to, to some of the initiatives that we're working on, uh, we're actually launching a new product um, targeted at construction, just as I mentioned, to really help those people to eliminate a lot of the risks that they're facing when they're working on different projects, uh, help ensure better compliance with the government funding that they're getting. So, so we're really excited about launching that uh, construction application, so that's really driving a lot of our investment and efforts. Uh, we're also expanding our partnerships, um, working with some of the, the, the larger human capital management um, uh, players in the industry that have, and it's been really rewarding that they've been seeking us out mm-hmm. as opposed to us having to knock on their door and really explain the value. They get it and they really want to work with us because they've seen how we've been able to perform with their competitors. So that's that's another big uh area of, of uh, focus for us. Is that is that surprising you at all that they're coming to seek you out and and what is the um, you know what what is the part of the puzzle that you're solving for them? It, it was surprising at first um, but once we you know realized the value and and um, came with greater conviction into our uh, accounts and also played a more direct role with with our clients as opposed to being really second tier behind our partner. Um, that has, has, again, been rewarding to, to, to see it play out as it has, um, you know, and, and explaining the, you know, the value that we're, we're providing is, is, is something that we're, in many ways, we are um, getting them into deals, into opportunities that they can't get into with their own software, mm-hmm. with their own solutions. Um, in many ways, they are playing in a level playing field with their technology. And so we are that differentiator, we're that tiebreaker that will allow them to get in. But then also our people have the domain expertise where we can talk the language of, speak the language of these clients that they're looking for to establish credibility, not only of us, but also then that rubs off on our partner. So mm-hmm. it's, it, again, as we transform our business to, to be more client-facing, more direct, less subservient to partners, um, we're really seeing how... We are that big differentiator and, and difference maker in getting a, a deal or not and getting a partnership or not. I, I assume that in changing from um, being a secondary to being primary with your customers, there are kind of operational changes that need to be made, like the, the business may need to think differently or do things differently. Can you talk about some of those changes that, that are involved? Some of it is philosophical because really um, our our DNA and how we were formed and founded was based on us being a tier two organization. So we have made a very conscious shift. We've articulated that um, in our staff meetings, in our procedures, 
that we now have the opportunity and we're recruiting intentionally for the skill set and the attitude and aptitude for people that want to be on the front line and take a tier one uh, approach to being on the front line when we're doing the implementation, being on the front line when we're doing the analysis, being on the front line when we are providing that follow-up support. And for the most part, people are very energized by that. Those that were not really understood the shift that we were making and um, chose to leave the organization. But those that are with us or have joined since we've made that shift, I, I think are enjoying it. But we have to be very aware, constantly aware, and very consciously create process and procedure that um, underscores that and supports that model. So the tier one needs people to want to engage with the messiness of the customer in a way that it didn't before? Is yes. that the, you know, be on the front lines? When you say yeah. that, I assume that means like you don't mind getting the phone call or, because customers a lot of times are, their stuff is messy. Yes. <laughs> and each one is kind of different. I assume each one is kind of the same and each one is kind of different too. Yeah, it, it, it's it very comfortable to be in the background, mm -hmm. to you know, casually react, if you will, to, to different situations, knowing that someone else is going to, to do the messy work for you. Um, and, and that was okay, and that was profitable for a while. But we realized it, we were in a plateau with that and at risk of, uh, of not even maintaining what we had um, if we kept that same tier two mindset, that tier two mentality. So with getting on the front line, we're finding not only are we able to control the story, um, but we're also getting critical feedback on people, product, and process that we need to really advance the organization and, and position us to grow. Mm -hmm. So it was one of those that, you know, you become complacent in your lane, and we were very good in that lane for, for the longest time, 20 plus years to be exact. Um, but really in around 2014 is when Sonia and I looked at each other and said, if this is going to get to the next level, if we're going to want to be part of this organization going forward and grow it, we need to, to transform everything about who we are and embrace a tier one mentality. And I, um, part of that was also shifting our revenue model. So the tier two process and framework was supported by the old license and maintenance model and the way we were sold um, through our partner channels and then by transforming the product and the pricing to software as a service, obviously you have to perform the service. Mm -hmm. Every month. To, <laughs> over and over and over again to, to, to keep those clients. With software as a service, is there a model that they subscribe for the year, and is there a model where they subscribe month to month? And do you have, have you chosen one of those? I, I don't know it well enough to know. Yeah, so, so there are different ways you can approach it. Some organizations that have the luxury of signing one three-year contracts or, or longer for that sometimes if they're extremely lucky. Yeah. <laughs> um, in our world, in the human capital management space, the model that has been set forth by our partners um, is month to month. And they use that as a selling technique that there is little to no risk. Um, you can turn us off at any time. We have to earn your business every month. Mm -hmm. And so we're riding along that wave. 
And again, that's a big part of the shift that we have to go through is, again, as Sonia mentioned, out of the license model, you get your money up front, and we hope they stay around. Now we have to fight scratch and claw every month to make sure that they delight in our solutions and services. Otherwise, they can turn it off at a moment's notice. And you mentioned a new product that you're launching. Is that... um uh, is that part of a broader thinking that you want to have specific products added to this mix that you have? And and, and talk a little bit about uh, where that's coming from and what you're hoping to accomplish with that. Yeah, so, so it definitely is. So we are seeing the opportunity for us to have uh, industry-specific solutions. So I mentioned construction. We also have uh, an application that helps nonprofit organizations manage their grant funding. Um, we are exploring manufacturing. We are exploring uh, professional services types organization or solution sets um, where we can complement a human capital management system with targeted and specific functionality for a given industry. And it's, again, we keep going back to the people element. The product is one thing, but having people that can speak in the language of those specific industries to have that rich domain experience to established credibility is so vital for these. And we realize that is a unique differentiator that we have with this wealth of knowledge internally that we need to take advantage of and that, that we believe there's a market for if we really specialize and have these industry solutions. When you say it's a differentiator, do you mean in your ability to design a product that is what the market needs? Or do you mean um, to talk to customers about the value of it or, or both? Both. both. <laughs> That's okay. it, it is. It's, it's, it's being able to, you know, this, the solutions we provide aren't something that you could find in an app store and just trust that it will work. We are tailoring um, software to, to, you know, business rules, pay policies that you really need someone to talk through and, and be able to understand what is going on in Washington with legislation and what is going on with uh, certain laws uh, around construction, et cetera. And so having that consultative element on the front end is as if not more important than the software you deliver on the back end, we mm -hmm. feel. Um, when I think of software, I think of that um, product manager and business analyst role as being the one that really provides that expertise and wisdom about the market into the development team. Um, do you have that role specifically? And what, what are you finding that you're learning about that role? Uh, we do not have that role specifically. Kit has um, gallantly played that role, and he's good at it. That's something that we need to have a dedicated person in the future for sure, and that is on our, on our staffing roadmap. Okay. Well, and to start with, certainly having a more senior, experienced person play that role makes a lot of sense. Um, I assume that's part of the wisdom, and the other part of the wisdom is you're growing your staff at the rate that you can support growing your staff, and that's right. always a balance. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, from an HR perspective, what are the kinds of things that you're thinking about and working on these days? Again, when uh, Kit mentioned that a couple years ago, we said, hey, if we're going to go forward with this, we're going to have to transform the company and a few things. And it was also at that time that we made a very conscious and deliberate decision that we would not compromise on who we hired. So even though we recognized when we needed to add bodies and how many bodies we probably needed to add, we would not hire somebody who is just good 
we would only hire somebody who was great. Mm -hmm. And we got buy-in from our management team that we would not compromise, even when they were feeling the pressure. Uh, we got buy-in and repeated that over and over again to the rest of the staff. We're recruiting, we're interviewing, and we're not going to compromise. And we have really seen the difference. Um, those that were already part of the organization um, felt the shift, and some of them left and, and went on to organizations where they were a better fit. Um, the people that we've brought in have really excelled and accelerated the organization. So from an HR perspective, now that we have them, we want to keep them and incent them and energize them. So we have started creating teams around product solutions. And what I mean by that is um, instead of maybe making one role or one person responsible for creating an idea, creating internally we refer to as a startup site and we'll go into an explanation of mm -hmm. around that but now we're putting together a team so that we have a lot of discussion and thought about what's the best way to tackle this what's the best way to solve it and having all those people contribute is energizing to them and we're really coming up with better products better solutions better internal tools and better processes mm -hmm. And so um, shifting the organization's mindset to tackle things that way has been very exciting from an HR perspective and then just you know, having to think about what that means for the organization and how do we keep people excited. And I think what I heard you say was that um, you were able to drive some performance changes and culture changes within the existing staff with the new hires that you brought on. Yes. That's great. Yeah. Did you have to change your hiring process at all in order to um, go for the better quality, or was it more just the discernment and the, the judgment that you used within the process? I'm not sure that we changed the process. Uh, we just chose to be more rigorous and disciplined mm -hmm. in making our decisions. And I think part of that rigor was, um, Sonia did an amazing job, so she's the Takes, should get full credit for the staff that we have. Um, she hired me. Yes, so. that's true. That's right. <laughs> um, and, but one of the things that, that has changed procedurally is when engaging with a candidate, we require some, some hurdles, if you will, some gates, some really levels of commitment that they are interested in joining IDI. And um, so first of all, just to make it past that first wave, to even get to an interview process, they've got some, some skin in the game. Um, and then once they get here, we have a, uh, a very intentional and um, uh, two-way type discussion because we want them, we're recruiting them, they're recruiting us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so it's, it's something that has really, out of the funnel, has led to some amazing candidates. Um, and even we've had the luxury of being able to choose between <laughs> several amazing candidates to wow. get to the best. Wow. And uh, again, that's part of the, the because of the process that we've really you know, examined and um, intensified in terms of how we solicit candidates. That's true. Uh, um, to explain a little bit more on the recruiting, 
we do, once we decide that we're going to bring somebody in for an interview, regardless of what position it is, they have homework to do, and they have to be willing to do that homework before they come in for the interview. And for our technical positions, that might be taking our flagship product for a test drive, trying to do the mappings, you know, here's the story problem, go through it, let me know when you're done. For the um, sales positions, we had we gave them, again, a story problem and said, I want you to come in and be prepared to give us a presentation on how you would tackle this in your first 90 days. So that that has really been helpful. And you do that in the first interview with them? We do. They have that? Okay. Mm-hmm. The first on-site. So yeah. Sonny does a phone interview just to, to right. test for a pulse and, and make sure that they're <laughs> right. worthy of coming in. And uh, But once on-site, it's, it's a uh, multi-person investment. I mean, we spend... Um, two to three hours. Mm-hmm. And then they, we give them the opportunity to shadow the position as well. So they are meeting their teammates who they'd be working with. They get to see things in action and get it. I mean, granted, it's an hour or so, but at least we're giving them the opportunity to be out in the space and see what it would be like. I'm sure that's a good experience for them, too. I exactly. actually had several people in the last round say, this was the best Right. experience I've ever had. If everybody interviewed like this, I would be so happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we we have the term user experience and customer experience, and we're just starting to hear um, employee experience, uh, and that starts in the interview process. Yeah. Um, anything going on with generational? You know, a lot of times uh, when you ask about HR, there's um, kind of a, just a difference in expectations for what uh, younger workers and uh, more experienced workers ha- are bringing to the job and things like that. So do you have any of that going on in your shop or not? Uh, we do, but in the most positive way. It's, it's funny, you know, to watch the sitcoms and stuff on TV and hear the jokes and millennials and uh, um, they don't want to work, they don't want to do this, they don't want to do that. And yet, um, we have, uh, again, maybe it's part of our rigorous process, but the, um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, we have four people where we are their first office job. And they are all excelling. And they are um, thinking creatively. They're really invested in wanting to do the right thing for the product, for their teammates, for the customer. They are challenging the way we do things, but in a very positive way. And it has been great for the organization. Yeah, one of the things that I've been so impressed with is, we speak of the the four that would be classified in that generation, um, how they are so equipped to come with solutions as opposed to problems. So they will, a person on my team, yeah, once we explained a problem and he couldn't necessarily articulate it, um, the value of it. So over the weekend, built a prototype mm. of the software, of the solution that, that he thinks is... And that was in the sales team. <laughs> yes. Yeah, wow. yeah, exactly. So so these people are coming with you know, amazing energy and excitement and ideas, and we just have to continue to, to cultivate that. And it's, again, it's, it's spread positively throughout the rest of the organization, regardless of the demographic, to, to see that excitement and and willingness to try and fearlessness right. has really it, you know elevated the organization as a whole so it's 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 been fantastic that's great uh, let's stick with the sales theme um, is are you going through any changes anything interesting happening with your marketing and sales and how you handle that um, 
either compared to five years ago or, you know, compared to last year? Sure. Yeah, so so we are going through quite a bit of change, um, again, all stemming from uh, transforming from a single partner, single product to multi-partner, multi-product. And naturally, it, it, increase, it creates increased challenge of, of keeping in touch with all of our partners. So we have, again, the, the luxury in many respects of having upwards of 2,000 sales professionals across the country, across our partners, you know, wanting uh, to, to sell our solutions if, if we can make a compelling case. And so we have started, we've used over the last couple of years, um, really expanded our use of HubSpot. Uh, we've just recently implemented their CRM module to have better connectivity, to have better tracking of who's engaging, who's delighted, you know, who do we need to reach out to. Um, and so, so that's been a big thrust on the marketing front. Um, and then at sales, uh, again, you know, bringing in people to the organization who have direct sales background, um, who are not just, you know, who, who are consultative, but who have carried a bag, as they say, who have had a quota. And again, bringing that type of mindset to how we approach sales. And I, I would add, too, that we are learning and getting better at articulating the value that we bring. And we learned that from you, Dave. <laughs> so that's been a change, too, in how we're presenting information, how we are presenting ourselves and our expertise. And that even led to the IDI Resource Center, which is pretty new. So talk about that. Yeah, so the IDI Resource Center is our um, online repository of basically 30 years of IDI domain knowledge accessible 24 by 7. And it was one of the things that really came to light that, um, you know, when I would go on the road and speak with a, a given office or at a trade show, what have you, in the moment, there was great engagement and understanding. And then as soon as I would leave the booth or go to the airport, it seems like 30% of it would leave the brain. <laughs> and so uh, also working a lot with uh, uh, folks in California, different time zones and so on, we made the investment over the last five to six months um, to put together this knowledge base that's accessible. And it's been getting rave reviews. Um, our usage um, and some of the feedback we're getting is, is outstanding and exactly what we had hoped. Um, and so that, too, we see as a great way not only for our partners, but also it's available to our clients to, again, establish that credibility both from a functional as well as a technical perspective of what it's like to work with IDI. It's interesting to hear, um, even in the half hour that we've been talking, there are these new ideas that seem to, I can't tell if they're just growing organically out of you doing business and then recognizing that there's something there and then expanding it, which it sounds like the resource center it is, um, or if it's more like you've gone off into a room, talked about things, and come up with a plan and realized that. But but there's clearly a um, ongoing growth and change process that you all are, are um, doing, leading, managing, doing. Um, is, is any of that conscious and intentional, or is that just kind of how you guys are? What's the better answer? <laughs> <laughs> no, it is It is definitely conscious and intentional. And, and really, again, I, I referenced 2014 before. So that was really a, a, a tipping point for, for Sonia and I of where we wanted to take the organization. Do we want to essentially run it as a, a lifestyle business, cash cow to an extent until it falls off the cliff? And that was a viable answer. <laughs> you know, or, or alternative. A legitimate um, business strategy. Yeah, yeah. And, and some people do that, and it's comfortable and 
you know, we've had a good run at that point. Um, we chose the, you know, the other end of the spectrum, which was to really shake things up, transform it, and, and again, get outside of our comfort zone in many respects. And, and getting out was probably the, the, the key point. So in a tier two mindset, you're very insular, you react to things that happen, and you accept the consequences. Um, but we realized that as part of this tier one, not only do we need to have our people have an external mindset, but we need to be focusing more on the business as opposed to in the business. So we started working with Dave Havlin, <laughs> we <Vibration>. started, <laughs> and, um, as well as joining other groups, um, you know, and getting outside of of the business to to see what we need to do to make, and that's what really has led to a lot of these more wide widespread changes. Yeah, let's go back to what it. What, um, can you describe more about what you mean by you communicate the value of what you do better? Um. Yeah, I, I think. Like, what did you used to do? Historically, wasn't as good. We just felt that. Well, number one. Historically, our role was to fill the gap of our partners' products. So that's an awkward selling position to be in. To say, hey, by the way, I know your product can't do this, and so when you want to go talk to a client or a prospect and go ahead and tell them you can't do this, <laughs> but you have these, these guys in Ann Arbor that can, that's awkward. Yeah. So then we thought, okay, as long as we just explain what we can do, they're gonna get it, right? They should say, okay, you're credible, we're willing to pay X thousand of dollars because uh, why wouldn't we, right? And, and surprisingly, um, that wasn't a compelling <laughs> sales um, pitch. So then we thought, well, maybe it's the price. Maybe we're asking too much. Maybe we just need to do this better, faster, smarter, and for less money. And we realized, no, it's because we are not really articulating the value of what we do, what we're solving, and how we're going to make their lives better because we understand the challenges that this prospect is facing, we can put something in place that is going to work elegantly and they will have peace of mind and have a better result. And so by learning to articulate that value, they should say, oh my gosh, you guys are Really? Are you, are you sure you don't want to charge us more money for this? <laughs> yeah, and I think the other big thing that we incorporate into the, the, the selling process and the, the value explanation is we've been there, done that. Yeah. So, you know, you are a nonprofit with X grants and Y employees struggling with this. You know, we worked with um, a very similar organization down the street. Oh, you and that really changed the, the narrative the immediately dynamic, and yeah. the dynamic. It was just so so you know, again, to sign his point, again, in the in the tier two mindset, if we gave our partner the facts at the time, especially, um, you know, our main partner was able to to take that and, and sell the value um, pretty Usually. well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but they've had such, there's been such disruption in that industry as well with turnover and acquisitions and so on, that we've lost that air cover. And that was a, a, a real eye-opener for us is that 
just by telling someone that wasn't good enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now we needed to show them, we needed to explain, and we needed to, you know, create a, you know, a positive outcome and journey for them and, and let us control that story. Love it. Sounds great. All right. Um, tell me what happens when you guys disagree. Uh, Ladies first. Yeah. I would say that we are very comfortable disagreeing. Uh, we probably disagree on a daily basis, but it doesn't really feel like disagree. Well, not let me say, we know when we disagree, but it doesn't feel like an argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have become very comfortable playing devil's advocate. I think uh, sometimes it's probably weird if there's a third or fourth person who's witnessing the conversation because we're, you know, I I will start on this side of the, I'll just call it argument, philosophical argument. Kit will be on the other side. Halfway through, we'll switch. And we're being devil's advocate. We're hearing us like I am hearing myself articulate my position and by hearing it out loud I I can see the weak points in that and Kit is bouncing his feedback off that and then we're switching and flipping Um, we have learned to rehearse difficult conversations we have learned to rehearse strategic conversations and it's just part of being each other's sounding board that um, disagreements are easy and we recognize that that's how we come up with a, a better solution and a better decision in the end. Yeah, and I would, I would add to that that there's such a high degree of trust and respect yeah, yeah. that we also read each other so well to know <laughs> if someone has a very strong opinion about a given situation and if the other doesn't, we don't view it as a, a, a zero-sum game. Right, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's something that, that we've, you know, again, working together so well for so long, know that there are going to be times to, to we're going to agree to disagree, but we're going to go off and, and we're going to make a decision mm-hmm. yeah. and move forward. And then we're not going to dwell and we're not going to bring it up and it's not going to be World War Three. We haven't had any of those. No, no. So, so it's just, some, it's, it's really founded in the trust and respect mm-hmm. of each other that, okay, this is one that makes sense to, to go with your gut. And the, and this one's really I'm I'm emphatic about let's let's go this way. And, and I agree. We, uh, even when we do disagree, when we make the decision, we are in agreement about the decision, mm-hmm. re- regardless of how we got there. I know you already know this, but what you just described is incredibly special and powerful, and all those things. So I'm just articulating that, but it, it really, I think, is in some ways unique. Um, there's probably few people that are able to find that kind of partnership and relationship to build something, uh, you know, in in the business world. Um, I think at least once a month we look at each other and say, "Oh my God, I'm so glad I didn't have to do this." That alone. Yes, awesome. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> at least once. <laughs> um, and. When I see that in the leadership team, I think, have you been able to project that out? Just that ability to start on one side of the argument and then move to the opposite side. And it shows a open-mindedness and a mental flexibility that I think can be really powerful throughout a whole organization. How much have you done around creating value statements and things like that for your culture 
And and for example, have you done anything intentionally to say open-mindedness is one of our core values of how we do business or anything like that? We haven't um, done it in that way, but I will say we model it regularly, mm. and we have been very clear with our our management team or any time we're in a um, team where we're talking about how to come up with the best solution. And we've also articulated many times through the years, and even as part of the recruiting process, that when there are disagreements in the company, it is almost always because somebody has a very strong belief that their idea is what's best for the company, for the product, or for the client. And that's why there's a disagreement and an argument and sometimes uh, emotion around that. There's very little um, political stuff. And so we have been saying more and more, first of all, we've been modeling this for years for the management team, but we've been saying more and more throughout the organization that it is important that you disagree not for the point of disagreeing, but if, if it's going to get us to the better solution, you have to speak up. You know, it's not just so that you can dig in your heels for the sole purpose of challenging us. It is because we expect you to speak up when you have a better idea. Yeah, there's always that image of uh, the company that has these great statements on the walls but that's not what actually happens. Yeah. In fact, a lot of people will say, if it's on the walls, that's not what happens. And, <laughs> and it sounds like you're the opposite. It's like yeah. you've modeled a lot of this stuff, yeah. but haven't done anything intentionally to drive that. Yeah. Do you actively manage the culture of the company um, in any kind of programmatic way? Because what you just described is managing the culture of the company, but is there any program around that? Yes. Uh, in our performance reviews, our core values are... Um, explicit, and each employee is graded, if you will, against them. Um, so they surface annually, um, but more importantly, we, we live them daily. And so, um, yeah, we, we take stock of our core values, and they aren't as you, kind of aspirational, <laughs> what we want to be. <laughs> they are what we are, and, and there's core to our DNA, and we will not tolerate people that, that don't live by them um, and on a daily basis, yeah, it, whether it's in a meeting. And so I think, to Simon's point, we create the um, safe zone to, to disagree, knowing that there won't be uh, repercussions as long as people fight fair. Right, yeah. Do that respectfully. I have one last question, and that is, um, is there any part of the conventional wisdom in running a business that you think is wrong? I would say, again, since we're in tech, there is conventional wisdom that hyper-growth is the only measure of success. Um, growth is absolutely important. Uh, not only financially, but of your people, of your product. And, and, and we are firm believers in obviously aspiring to, to and have achieved growth. But hyper-growth is not part of what drives us. Uh, we want to have a great company, so more like the small giants um, mindset. And um, doing great by your people, doing great by your partners, doing great by your products. And that's what uh, makes us maybe somewhat different um, in terms of what conventionalism in tech is is often viewed as
I agree. When I thought of doing this podcast, when I pitched it to Phil Santer at Spark, um, I thought about having kind of honest conversations about what it's really like to run a business. And um, this was just what I was envisioning and hoping for. So I appreciate you guys being able to, you know, sharing the way you did. And, and uh, it just reinforces for me that uh, authenticity these days is really important in running a business and doing anything. And, um, you know, on top of all the other good things that you have going on in the company, we can add that one to it, too. So I really appreciate you guys coming here. I'm sure that other people will um, connect with what you're talking about. Um, and if anybody wants to get in touch with you, are you open to that? And how should they do that? Yes, we are open to that. And you, uh, Kit, just pointed at me. So what, what, what did that, this is one of the times when I couldn't read his mind. So yeah, I mean, so, so you can, so to learn more about IDI, you can go to idesign.com. Um, but to, to reach out to us, um, email is kdickinson at idesign.com. Um, and uh, S. Parker at idesign.com. And we would love to, to connect with anyone in the community um, going through something similar or wanting to, to reach out because. Uh, again, it's it's a, uh, a close-knit community here in Ann Arbor, and we're happy to be part of it. Um, I'm not sure you could tell me or not, but has Apple come and asked for the iDesign uh, domain? Oh, no, they have. <laughs> no, but and, and did you have <laughs> iDesign before <laughs> yes. they started smashing I in front of all the other? Yeah. You had it before that? Okay. We had the, the, Yeah, it was very uh, – uh, <laughs> that was part of the forecasting in, in 1985 that <laughs> Apple was going to need the I. <laughs> <Right>. So. <laughs> Well, thanks again for joining us. That was Thank our pleasure. you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Spark.Grow, a podcast series brought to you by Ann Arbor Spark. To learn more about Spark, visit annarborusa.org. And thank you to the Ann Arbor District Library as our recording partner. You can learn more about their resources at aadl.org.